You are listening to the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network. Visit PencilandPaperProductions.Podbean.com to find more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to As I Recall It, a podcast featuring stories and anecdotes of years past. Did they happen exactly as I said? Probably not, only as I recall it. Today's tale is going to be an epic journey through a common thread in my life. There will be certain details omitted because they will be found in companion pieces on other media. It may sound more complicated than it is, but everything will be linked together so you'll have the grand picture. Somehow it never occurred to me how much time had passed since I first began creating content. I just happened to be looking into the possibilities of upscaling old video, which led me to my own videos for testing purposes. I soon realized that I had been at this for 15 years, and maybe such an achievement should be noted, even if it was nothing more than a solo celebration. But how would I go about such a thing? Where would I begin? Well, let's go back to the beginning. And I don't just mean 2004. I mean way back to clearly understand why pencil and paper productions even exists. Going back an additional 20 years, I could see myself as a child who had an obsession with being an entertainer. As I recall, I would spend certain evenings outside on a makeshift stage, talking to a live studio audience, cracking wise before introducing the main show. The main show was my life, but everyone was an actor playing family members and friends. Obviously, I was me playing myself in this fictitious world that I wished to live in. Certain well-known celebrities were in the show, Patrick Swayze played my Uncle Matt Long, Bob Hope portrayed my Uncle Bobby Hips, and even Robin Williams snuck in under the guise of makeup to portray the local mechanic known as Shorty. Such celebrities on my show? Must be a pretty big hit. I didn't choose these celebrities at random, though. My brain would associate a famous person with someone in my life that they closely resembled and then pair the two. I'm sure there were other pairings, but these were the only ones my brain could come up with at the time of writing this. Outside of having my own TV show, my brother and I had our very own radio show. This stemmed from the advent of recording stereos and cassette tapes being readily available. At first, we would just record random words or noises just to hear it played back. Eventually, we were doing news and weather reports and other random bits. The cassette these recordings were on laid in my possession for the longest time, and hearing our childlike voices at least 10 to 15 years later was incredibly jarring. I definitely had more of a country-fried twang in my voice. What was even more interesting was hearing the intelligence ooze out of my brother. He was the local newscaster on our radio show, and the stories he would come up with were impressive for a kid his age. My dumbass would start humming the Snowbird Report theme and say, All schools are closed in the mid-state area. As far as where this cassette is now... I'm pretty sure the tape itself broke at some point, leaving me to regret not making backups. If I wasn't performing on stage or on air, I was invested in the adventures of my toys. Now, I may not have had all of the world's greatest toys, but their adventures were no less exciting. It's funny to think back on the toys that I had and how only certain ones stand out. First, there was Chuck. He was initially a motorcycle stunt driver until I removed him from that profession and made him a semi-truck driver. His best pal was Little Man. 
a guy who drove around in an old jalopy that could secretly transform itself and Little Man into Corvette, a much cooler persona. There was also Duncan the Purple Dragon, who had permanent burns on his feet because I chose to play with a ladder one day. The characters and their adventures would vary, usually fighting characters like Leech or Mantana, with the occasional guest stars like He-Man, the Ninja Turtles, and even Godzilla, the only toy I still have from this collection. As you can imagine, when I saw Toy Story, I related with Andy immensely. My imagination worked non-stop, and as time passed, my form of expressing it evolved. Around the age of 10, it found its way onto paper via a pencil. Now, I'm sure I was drawing before then, but no record of it exists. At this point in the story, I won't go into great detail about the world surrounding my drawings, since I've already begun speaking about them in previous stories and will continue to do so in later ones. Basically what I'm saying is if you want extreme detail about my drawings and that world, go find the episodes. Anyway, I spent the next 14 years expressing my ideas on paper, creating character designs, promotional posters for the ideas, which were always fun for me, story outlines, and even comics based on the characters I created. Many of my ideas weren't really groundbreaking concepts. Most of my passions were schlocky B-movies and comic books, and it shows if you look back on the stuff I sketched. In 1998, I made my first attempt at making a film using my father's personal camcorder. I was supposed to be filming cute videos of my newborn daughter, and I did, but an opportunity presented itself. During the holiday season, one weekend while I was in my possession, I had access to a Christmas Village decoration set, complete with little figurines of people and houses that lit up. I also had a remote-controlled Godzilla, or Zilla, you know, the American Godzilla from 1998. Depends on where your preferences lie. Anyway, I attempted to film a movie where Zilla rampages through the village. Unfortunately, Zilla didn't work all that well. His uh, leg kind of caught, and it just made this horrendous sound. I also didn't have a script, so I had to ad-lib the narration, which, uh, to be fair, was hilarious to listen to. And without the proper equipment for lighting, sound, and even editing, it was kind of a fruitless endeavor at the time. Now, in 2004, the prospect of having my own camcorder came about. I'm not really sure how it was afforded the opportunity for the camera, but I do believe it was bundled in with the purchase of a new PC. Unfortunately, I didn't get all the bells and whistles for the PC that I should have, but I'll come back to that. Having a camera at my disposal and the power of my imagination, you'd think I'd have a solid starting point. Unfortunately, nothing came to mind. The camera that I was using was a Canon Mini DV ZR90. It sounded really fancy, came with a memory card and Mini DV cassette tapes. I began playing around with screen tests, recording myself or my children, seeing how the picture looked, and seeing if I could do anything fancy with the footage. The only problem was getting the footage onto the PC. The camera was equipped with a way to transfer the footage digitally from the tapes to the PC via an IEEE 1394 Firewire cable. Unfortunately, the PC did not come with an adaptable port. It could have, had I asked for it. With this roadblock, I wasn't sure how to proceed. Then, I just realized I could record directly onto the memory card. Now, I'm not exactly sure what size memory card it was. I honestly want to say it was no bigger than one gigabyte, but even that sounds generous. 
but it was enough to manage. Another thing I lacked was decent editing software. The only tool at my disposal was Windows Movie Maker. It had a few simple presets that were ideal for home videos, but not necessarily for what I was looking to do. In any case, I didn't have much choice, so I had to make do. Another problem I had with that program is how it would not allow cuts on every frame, but instead every six frames. Trying to edit precisely with that program was impossible, so I had to be clever about my choices. Sometimes it worked, but most of the time it didn't. Trying to test how clever I would need to be, I made a magic video using some simple camera and editing tricks to create an illusion. This would lead to my first short narrative. The Witch Sister was something I developed on the fly one day. I came up with the dialogue in the moment, stood my daughters in front of the camera, and gave them direction. From there, I created this little short complete with credits and music. The original cut had absolutely no extra effects added and had the studio banner Diamond Pictures attached to the beginning of it. If you remember seeing any of my original videos before the rise of YouTube, then you would be familiar with that name. For everyone else, here's a little TLDR. Diamond Pictures was originally the name I labeled everything under. It stemmed from the Diamond Comics banner that my friend Jamin Spinogel and I came up with as kids. When we were writing and drawing our own comic books, we used Diamond Comics to label our work. When I branched off into movie-themed comics, I labeled those stories under Diamond Pictures along with the associated label like Horror Incorporated or Action-Packed Productions. When the time came to create my own films, no matter how small they might be, the thought of seeing Diamond Pictures plastered across the screen seemed very appealing. However, it was brought to my attention sometime later that Diamond Pictures was a name kind of associated with homosexual pornography. Since that wasn't exactly my intended audience, I figured it might be best to brand my work with something else. If you've ever had to rebrand, it's never easy. You essentially have to let go of everything you've held on to in favor of something new. Something foreign. Furthermore, nothing else ever sounds right even if the best name is staring you down. During my attempts to rebrand, I'm sure there were several names that came down the pipeline, but the goal for me was to associate my brand with something that felt personal to me. The only reason Diamond Pictures existed was because of Diamond Comics, and that existed because of stories and characters that were created with a pencil, paper, and some imagination. Then it hit me. I have been producing content using pencils and paper for 20 years. It's only fitting. Hence, Pencil and Paper Productions was born. I was a bit concerned someone might think we were a stationary outlet, but I figured it was best for the brand to sell itself. From February 2004 to January 2005, I worked on various shorts of my own and two that were written and directed by others. I even went back and fixed Zilla in Christmas Village or Godzilla in Christmas Village, complete with an actual script, proper editing, sound design, and credits. But there's only so much you can do with that concept. With 10 short films under my belt, I was feeling the itch to do more. However, the more I wanted to do, the more ambitious I became. All of the ideas that were coming to me were becoming way too big for the budget I was under, which was zero. And when new ideas were looking impossible to do, I went back to the well and considered sequels to things I'd already done. 
but unfortunately my brain got in the way again and blew it out of proportion. But I would like to go back and look briefly at the sequels that could have been. First up was a sequel to the silent film Heaven or Hell. The plot would have revolved around the survivor of the first film trying to repent for his sins by spreading the gospel only to be haunted by the men he murdered. As dark as that premise sounds, there would have been plenty of laughs. One scene involved a thriller dance sequence, which was something I was really looking forward to. The next was a sequel slash remake of Suicide Story that would have taken the basic premise of the first one but elaborated on it all. Each form of suicide attempted would have led to a flashback, helping you get to know the character just a little bit better. But each flashback would have led to the main character backing out of killing himself or just failing outright. The failing part would have created some form of levity on the matter with one scene that I actually had in my head involving a failed hanging attempt where the rope immediately snapped. This idea was something I would still consider and probably would be the most probable to pull off. I just need to sit down and actually work it out. Next was Poochie's Gigantic Journey, which featured Poochie going in search of his origins. I had a full outline of this idea from beginning to end, and it would have required more than just me to pull it off. This could have been my first feature-length film, something I was excited about, but also intimidated by. Again, I still feel like I could pull this one off today, but I would need to work out the screenplay. Revenge for Murder 2 went through several iterations. The first draft involved the brother of the man who was killed, played by myself, coming for revenge against the protagonist played by Stephen Foster. Owning how ridiculous the first one was, I decided to step it up a notch and involve a lightsaber duel, mainly because I had learned how to make them with my recently acquired special effects program and I just wanted to insert them in things. This idea was briefly outlined and I even made a teaser trailer for it, which can be found on my YouTube page and is still one of my favorite things I've done. I would say the only reason this didn't get made was due to the change in my location. My friend and I were both living in apartments at the time and neither lent themselves to the freedom we would need to accomplish our flick like the first one did. Because of that, the idea languished for years. But I'll come back around to that. Finally, we come to the return of the Witch Sisters. Once I was able to perform better special effects for my ideas, the idea of a new Witch Sister flick always lingered. The sole purpose was to reintroduce familiar characters while also saying, I've stepped up my game. The core idea stayed true to the end of part three, where the girls had had their powers bound. The wrinkle is that my character, who was also supposed to have bound his powers, did not. With that basic premise, I worked out numerous plots that would see the girls' power returning to them. And considering the third sister was never properly shown with abilities, we would get to know her and her capabilities as well. I really wanted to make this one, and I felt confident that I could. However, fate is a dirty bitch sometimes. Around this time, my camera began to malfunction and refused to open the tape deck, resulting in constant errors. Now, I was left with no camera and plenty of ideas. To combat this form of drought, I began making music videos featuring movie clips and an accompanying song that seemed to fit. I'm not sure which came first exactly, but I made videos featuring Spider-Man, The Hulk, Punisher, Godzilla, Daredevil, and the X-Men, with all available to view on YouTube except for the last two. Both of those are pulled down from the site by Fox themselves. 
something I should feel so honored about. Perhaps I could try to upload them again today to see if the same backlash would occur. And honestly, I doubt it thanks to ad revenue, so we'll see. Now this drought would last for several years. In that time, my life went through many changes. Changes that I wasn't sure I would ever recover from. But those are stories for another day. In 2011, I set out to invest in a brand new professional-grade camera, lighting and sound equipment, and professional editing software. I did just that and began working to reinvigorate pencil and paper productions. My first act was to revisit the idea for Revenge for Murder 2. I worked out a short film script that was more grounded and vicious than I previously envisioned. The cast of characters expanded, and it was starting to look like this was going to work. I had all of my characters cast and ready to go. Unfortunately, one weak link destroyed the entire project. In hindsight, I could have pressed forward and still made this happen with some minor changes, but my vision was more important to me at that time. However, sometimes compromising your vision is a lesson that I needed to learn. Refusing to allow this setback to hinder my progress, I focused my attention to my son and created a series based around him. Since his sisters had their own series of shorts, it seemed only fair that I give him a solo piece. The idea came about while batting around ideas with my daughter Starla who wanted to create her own series. I told her to come up with the show's basis and I would help produce it for her. Seemed like a win to me. Her idea focused on a collaboration of short segments and I pitched one that would focus on her brother. That pitch would essentially become episode one of The Adventures of Anakin. From there, I began to try to develop other random ideas for shorts that would be quick and easy to write and produce. Clearly, nothing was just that easy since I only produced four episodes. That said, I am proud of the work that was done and consider them to be some of the funniest content I've ever produced. During this time, I was beginning to renew my interest in the return of the Witch Sisters idea. Newly expanded ideas began to sprout, so I began brainstorming on the side while trying to develop other ideas like the Chesterfield Murphys. This was an entertainment news show that sounded great as an idea, but it was extremely time-consuming to produce within the window I was aiming for, so only two episodes were ever produced. Looking back on this concept, I think it would have really been a fantastic model for a podcast and would have been way ahead of its time had I gone that route back then. But, lessons need to be learned. This idea also inadvertently sprouted another idea, one that would prove to be the most ambitious thing I had ever done. The name Chesterfield Murphys was supposed to be a play on the term couch potatoes. I loved the name, and I really wanted to use it in a sitcom format. Along with my friend Todd Stark, we began batting around ideas for a sitcom show about two guys and their misadventures. We never quite had an underlying concept for the show. You know, the idea you would use to tell your friends about it. Hey, this guy's about two friends who love video games, and they have this guy who sleeps on the couch all the time, and the one guy never gets laid by his wife. Doesn't really grab you, does it? But we had ideas aplenty, so I wrote situations based around those ideas. Involving Todd was one thing. Involving his wife, my wife, and other willing participants was another. Luckily, we were fortunate enough to have dedicated people involved that made Man Cave the biggest hit I'd ever had at the time. When it came down to the production, planning to film Man Cave and have it laid out within a certain time frame was a task I'd never attempted. We laid out a production schedule consisting of whatever weekends we could spare, 
which episodes we could film, who would be involved, who would be needed, and so on. Beginning in March of 2013 and lasting through July of the same year, we managed to film and release Season 1 of Man Cave starting on June 1st. Production had its hiccups, like certain actors not showing up, which led to rising tensions. But, learning from lessons past, I realized that those who bail out are clearly not as committed as I like to say they are. Plus, it allowed me to rewrite scenes on the fly, a skill that has come in extremely handy. Man Cave was most definitely a learning experience, one that I took with me onto my next phase of projects. After season one, many fans began asking when we'd do more episodes. I began working on adapting a few ideas, but nothing was feeling quite right. While trying to figure out a second season, I finally completed a full 106-page script for The Return of the Witch Sisters. This is one of my proudest achievements since I had never written a full screenplay. I passed it along to a select few of my peers, those I trusted would not sugarcoat their thoughts and criticisms. I needed to know what worked and what didn't. To my surprise, there wasn't much wrong with it. It wasn't an Academy Award winning script or anything, but it wasn't bad either. It could make an entertaining movie. But it never happened because of the limitations of my budget. I could probably pull it off now with some ingenuity, but the script would have to change a little considering my daughters are much older now than when they were written in the script. I really need to make this happen. From 2013 to 2016, I hit another dry spell. I was attempting to find my next project, but nothing was sticking. Furthermore, I hit a wall emotionally that sent me into a bad bout of depression. I'm not sure where it came from or what triggered it, but it prevented me from being creatively productive. Eventually, I came out of that rut and began developing an idea for a show that was meant to be a testing ground for new ideas. A place that I could just try anything, giving me the free reign to play around with ideas. With that, I created Slapdash Spasmodic, the most random show on the internet. At least, that's what I say it is. August 1st, 2016 saw the premiere of the first episode of the series, which featured myself and my daughter Starla taste-testing new flavors of Lay's potato chips. This concept would eventually evolve into the show Savor the Flavor. Two weeks later on Slapdash Spasmodic, saw the first beer series episode that featured myself and my friend George Willard trying seven different brands of beer. After six episodes of that, we evolved that idea into one of my favorite shows that I produce today, Porter and Ale. With two new shows that were easy enough to produce, my drive was back. So I put my full focus on bringing season two of Man Cave to the masses. Learning from past mistakes, I took full charge of this season, making absolutely sure the quality was going to be a step up from last season. Everything was meticulously crafted and planned with care more than season one. However, that, along with other elements, began to take its toll on me emotionally. I was mentally exhausted. From February 2017 to November 2017, Man Cave Season 2 was in production and the first episode released on November 4th, 2017. Now, we actually recorded a special podcast called Inside the Man Cave after production wrapped, so go check that out if you want in-depth details into that production. Now, during the production of Season 2, Todd and I developed a podcast called Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo. Its focus was to discuss video game news. Listening back on the older podcasts, you could tell there was a lack of direction. As we progressed, I had been studying other podcasts, their methods, and their quality, and decided that we needed to step it up as well. Slapping on my producer's hat, 
I evolved the show into an extremely professional and planned structure that allowed us to maintain a timed format between one to two hours. The level of professionalism, along with minor touches, have led to interviews with several independent game developers in the gaming industry, some of which we remain in touch with today. Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo was something I wasn't sure that I had complete interest in doing, and yet I have produced over 100 episodes and have met so many amazing people along the way. It's even spawned a yet-to-be-released animated series based on the characters' avatars seen each week in the show's episode icons. So as of right now, I am actively producing four semi-regular shows, one weekly podcast, two seasonal podcasts, writing a third season for Man Cave, writing, animating, and producing Super Mega Crash Adventures for what I'm hoping will be a late 2019 release, but I think it might be pushed back to 2020. We'll see. As you can see, I'm a busy man. Do I make money from this? No. I wish I did. Then I could do more of it. And one might ask, then why do you do it? I've been asked numerous times at my 9-to-5 job, why are you working here? It's not my choice. Like every job in the world, you have to be hired first. I've stuck my head out there hoping someone would notice and give me a chance. However, I've come to the harsh realization that no one is looking in my direction. But, if I gave up what I'm doing because no one was looking, then who knows what I might miss out on. I may have never spoken to Todd and created what we did. Without that, there is no Man Cave. No Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo. Without those, I may not have met Lacia Finley, my podcast co-host and absolute best friend in the world. Who knows where I would be had I not taken a chance on an idea formed it, learned from it, and even humbled by it. All I know is I love doing this stuff. It keeps me going. My only regret are the years absent of any content. So much wasted time. It's clear that a lull is not in the cards anytime soon. Hopefully I will return to you in another 15 years with tales of what took place between now and 2034. Maybe we'll have three more seasons of Man Cave under our belt. Maybe Super Mega Crash Adventures will become a smash hit that I never expected. And maybe I'll understand why I wrote a screenplay for a fourth Witch Sister story. Or, maybe I retired only a year after recording this. All I know is that time will tell. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our stories. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash pencilandpaperproductions or pencilandpaperproductions.podbean.com and click become a patron in the top right-hand corner. Remember, you can tell your friends to find us on the Pencil and Paper Podcast Network found on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts, and even youtube.com slash pencilandpaperproductions. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join us again next time for more stories. This has been a pencil and paper podcast.